In 2000, Robert Putnam wrote a book that's become a classic. It's entitled Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. And in that book, he documents the decrease in participation in civic uh, and service clubs in America. And he uses bowling as an illustration. Now, probably some of you, but maybe not many of you, Remember those iconic bowling leagues of the 1950s and 60s and 70s? Remember those? And they figured so predominantly in also iconic television shows like Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. And you watched as people gathered around the food and the drinks with their teammates as they waited for their turn to bowl. Well, in his book, Putnam noted that although the number of people who bowl increased in the 20 years before he published his book, The number of those who bowled in a league dramatically decreased. Bowling alone. No more community. His research found that attending club meetings such as Rotary and Kiwanis declined by 58% from 1975 to 2000. And after the book was published, he noted that that trend continued and it even increased in the 21st century. Since the book was written, Kiwanis Clubs declined 60%, J.C.'s 64%, Mason's down 76%. He notes that the continued trend away from community is part of an overall trend in America. Listen to this one. Americans have also 43% fewer family dinners. 43% fewer family dinners. 35% fewer of us have friends who drop in to see us at home. Many people write about this decline in community. And they say there are reams of evidence to show that people who participate in communities, whether they are religious groups, bowling leagues, or book clubs, listen, they're better able to weather poverty and unemployment. They're more likely to be educated and less likely to face crime and drug abuse. And so, it seems that community is good for us. But of course, community is good for us because we are created in the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have lived together in perfect and eternal community. This is the God who said to us, it is not good for man to be alone. God created us, you and me, for community. That means that there are things that we can do together that we cannot do alone as Lone Ranger Christians, which means that we must be committed to community, which means we must learn to live together in community. And so while the world around us is becoming more isolated, we have an opportunity to build community, to be community. And you and I must be committed to that, to creating and living within community. That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we return to 1 Peter chapter 2. So I'm going to ask you to take out your Bibles and turn there. And when you found your place in 1 Peter chapter 2, please stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God.
First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, this is the word of God. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you our chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Man, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word for preserving it for us, teaching us through it, guiding our lives as your word joins your spirit within us. Bless us now again, we pray, as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, this is our last Sunday on this section of verses, and God's people said, hey. <laughs> For the past several weeks, we have been looking in these verses at the identity that has been given to us by God. We are priests in a holy and royal priesthood. And so I've structured our look at our identity as priests around four different F's. And since repetition is the handmaiden of learning, And we all need to learn well our identity. I'm going to go over those first four F's one more time. The first F is that our role as priests is fixed. It's fixed. It is the identity, the role for which God created Adam and Eve in his very own image and placed them in that sanctuary-like garden in the middle of Eden. Your priest identity has been fixed since the time of creation. The second F is function. God commanded Adam and Eve to work and to keep the garden. Work and keep, those are the exact two words that God later uses to tell the priests exactly what their job is to be in the world. To work and to keep They represented God to the world and the world to God. And so as priests, you and I must do that same function. The third F is favor. Our priestly sacrifices. The offerings that we give to God as priests in working and keeping the world are acceptable to Him if we offer them through Jesus Christ God's smile then rests upon the offering and the offerer. Is that good news? Is that good news? God's smiling on us. 
The fourth F is the face-forward nature of our priestly duties. Our faces must be toward the world. We must build bridges to the world. The Latin word for priest is pontiff, made up of two words, pont, bridge, and fauchery, to build or to make. You and I are to make a build, to make or build bridges. We're not to withdraw from the world in disgust, but instead build bridges to the world by which we may take the good news, that good news of Christ connecting them to God the Father. I couldn't leave this section without adding one more F. And the final F this morning is family. Family. These verses put before us a picture of family. A picture of community that it absolutely must overcome or break through the tendency that all of us have to hear Scripture individualistically. The tendency that we all have to live out our faith life independently. What Peter puts before us shows us that the church family, the church community, listen, it's not just a nice option for us if we're inclined to take it up. It is instead the very condition to which God calls us. Like it or not, this has become counterintuitive because we live in a culture, as you know, that values the individual. The individual human spirit, the individual expression, individual truth over corporate, over community, over family. And hence the statistics I read earlier. Now you fill in the blank for me, if you would. Whatever God ordains, Satan Satan opposes. God has ordained family for us. He has ordained community for us. And so the enemy of our souls, in subtle ways that maybe you and I don't even recognize, seeks to destroy community. Our love for it, our need for it, our commitment to it. Get people alone, get them on their own, and his lives are much more powerful and effective. Take an ember out of the fireplace, place it on the hearth, and watch how quickly the fire goes out. And so in a culture that emphasizes and elevates the individual, these verses that emphasize and elevate the corporate must make us countercultural. They require us to put on our countercultural ears to hear them and embrace the truth of these verses. Look in verse 9. If our culture were writing it, it might read, You are a holy priest. You are a person for God's own possession. But that's not what Peter writes. He writes, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. These are plural words. They describe groups, plural, many. And yet the many are a, a people, a priesthood, a family. Peter has this strong sense of the corporate nature of the church. And so he writes, so the churches will have that same view of themselves. Many becoming one, one family, one community 
you and I have to see ourselves as such here at Redeemer. It's the Spirit of God who put this vision, this image before the Apostle Peter so that those people would view themselves as a unit. Actually, the entire chapter emphasizes this. Look in verse 1. Peter writes, put away. You put away. It's a plural command, community. Verse 2, long for. You long for. It's a plural command, community. That you may grow up. You, plural, community. If you have tasted, you, plural, community. Look in verse 4. As you come to him, you, plural, you together, community. And then in verse 5, you yourselves, you plural, are like living stones that are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, family, community. Brothers and sisters, we are all in this together, a community, a family by God's ordination. So how are we going to best be a family? How can you and I do community well? I could answer that question by using any one of the many one another passages of Scripture, such as Romans 12. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Romans 14. Let us not pass judgment on one another. 2 Corinthians 13. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Galatians 5. Through love, serve one another. Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. 1 Thessalonians. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Always seek to do good to one another. Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So loving, loving, honoring, not judging, comforting, serving, bearing with each other, admonishing, teaching, encouraging, doing good, stirring one another up to love and good works. These are just some of the many one another verses in Scripture. And an entire sermon could be preached on any one of them, but this morning I want to focus on just one. It's all we have time for. And that is humility. Being humble before one another. Ephesians 4.2 With all humility and gentleness and with patience, bear with one another in love. And Philippians 2.3 do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Once again, just as community is countercultural today, so too is humility. The opposite of humility is boasting. And boasting is what social media, particularly Facebook, is all about. Everybody knows Facebook isn't real. The pictures 
are staged, and then they're highly edited before they are ever posted. And the goal of the one doing the posting is often to make their life look other than it is, or better than it is, or at least better than your life is. And so it becomes a tacit competition with others. I think it's very difficult to have family, to have community, for many to become one when they compete with one another, when they vie for the best or the top spot. Though actually Facebook has found a way to unite humility and boasting. It's called the humble brag. You know it. Someone might post, I'm going to miss my appointment because the pool guy showed up late. Okay, we get it. You have a pool. I don't have a pool. Or maybe they say, oh, I'm so thankful the the waiting room at the Mercedes dealership has such a nice workspace since I'm going to be here so long. Okay, we get it. You have a Mercedes. I don't have a Mercedes. Or maybe this one. Had just a moment to pull out my computer in the Admiral's Lounge between flights, you know, to catch up on my posts. Okay, we get it. You are an exclusive member of the Admiral's Club while I sit with everyone else like cattle at the airport gate. It seems like the entire point of social media is to promote ourselves so that we stand out, show our best that we hope is better than somebody else's. Our culture is addicted to it. How can we be a family, a priesthood, a nation if we're always trying to get ahead of each other? How can we love and honor and comfort, serve, encourage, build up those with whom we compete? I'm not saying that this is what you do. I'm just saying we are culturally conditioned not to be humble. When you walk through those doors every Sunday morning, you walk out of a boastful world. Perhaps from a world in which you yourself have been tempted to boast. And that boast is usually not in God the Father Almighty, maker in heaven and earth, or in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And so you and I come to worship, corporate worship, family worship every Sunday so that we might reorient That's why corporate worship is so vitally important. Together we praise Christ for who He is, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Together we remember who we would be, what we would be apart from His saving grace that's made us new. Corporate worship humbles us together. When we look around, we realize we are surrounded by equally hopeless People who equally need the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, when we make that acknowledgement, community, family begins to build among us. And competition then seems silly. The Apostle Paul knew his own credentials. He said, I have reason for confidence in the flesh. 
If anyone thinks he has reason, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But Paul let go all of that self-importance, all of that self-aggrandizement so that he could embrace Christ. He writes, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me. And here the world you could substitute for Facebook and all it values. Paul has been crucified to the world. Nothing counts, he says, but a new creation. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then Paul goes on to tell that story. The wonderful revelations that God himself had privileged Paul to see. And in order that Paul may not become conceited, he then talks about that thorn in the flesh. Three times, Paul pleaded with the Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am what? When I am weak, then I am strong. Who boasts in weakness in our culture? It's the very thing we hide unless we're in Christ. Then we know that in our weakness we can be strong because in our weakness we experience the grace upon grace upon grace of Jesus. Humility, when we let go of self-advancement, puts us in the right position before Christ puts us in the right position before others. It puts us in the right position before the world. Humility reminds us of all that Christ has done for us. It reminds us that what He has done is of the utmost and eternal significance. Nothing else is ultimately as important. One of my favorite books of all time, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life together. It's all about community. And in that book he writes, the more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and His work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. When a bunch of people get together who believe that, that the only vital thing between us is Christ, a group of people who focus on Christ as more important than all else, community, family is going to be built, and stuff is going 
to happen. What does God have in store for us? A family who have humbled ourselves before one another and before the Lord when we commit to community. What blessings does God have for us? What blessings does He have for those who inhabit our same space in this world? What blessings does He have for the world through us? I'll say it again. Community is not optional. It's not a go-to. Only when the me and Jesus have our own thing doesn't exactly pan out. Community is God's design for us. His highest and His best use of us is within the family of God. Commit to community. Commit to this community. This one. To your family. The faces that you see around you right now. To care deeply for one another. And what an opportunity we have. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to update the language of that quote that I put in your bulletin from 17th century Puritan Thomas Watson. Then we're done. He writes, There is nothing that would render the true faith more lovely or make more converts to it than to see the professors of it tied together with the heartstrings of love. Let's pray. Father, would you do that for us through Jesus? Tie our heartstrings together. Give us a love and a devotion for one another. Show us the importance of who you have made us to be and what our place is in your family, in this family. Prevent us, we pray, Father, from ever denying ourselves to one another. Give us the commitment to be a family together whenever you give us the opportunity. And Father, through us as a family, we pray that you would encourage us as a family. And through us, Lord, bring the gospel to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.